What it do? What the business is? It's your boy Rodney, joined by my boy Kaiser Sunday to the bottom, and into my le top left hand corner, Jamal, the angry black fan, Granddaddy Darby. How you doing? How you guys doing today? Oh, well, I got to be a granddaddy, man. I'm only 35 years old, man. What's going on? Man? Yeah, 35 plus what? Don't worry <laughs> about it. I carried the one. <laughs> How you doing? Hey, today, I'm, I'm six two because I got five kids. So, <laughs> or child, yeah, hey, man, you, it, it sounds like you're broke. <laughs> that too, yep. You got some broke best friends over there, yeah. Uh, but yesterday, the Panthers lost 16 to 24 to the Green Bay Packers. They broke. and I have some, I have some news for you guys. We've What's been happening? officially eliminated from playoff contention. Oh, 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 darn, man, what a shock, man. So, oh, after, man. So, man, if the draft was held today, we would pick fourth in the draft behind the Jets, Jaguars, and the Bengals. So, uh, guys, I'm going to start off with Kaiser. Give me your thoughts for the game yesterday. I'm just going to get right to the elephant in the room. <laughs> the Matt Rule, Teddy Bridgewater era is over. It is done after this season. Wow, that's a hot take to start out with, brother. Yeah, no, man. Hey, the the Panthers are gonna draft a quarterback. So, so here's the thing: we know Trevor Lawrence is off the table because two of the teams ahead of us need QBs. Um, that we we know the Jets do, and the Jaguars probably do um, as well. Cincinnati will probably pick an offensive lineman for Joe Burrow, and that leaves us with probably Justin Fields from Ohio State is probably who the Panthers are going to look very, very heavy at. If that's the case, I, I just don't see Teddy Br I mean, he'll be on the team because we signed him for three years, but never, I'm not going to say never, but it is odd to see a quarterback and a new head coach at odds every week. The report that came out after the game yesterday was that Teddy Bridgewater changed the call at the line of scrimmage on the quarterback sneak that led to the fumble. Now, Matt Rule did call a quarter, or Joe Brady called a quarterback sneak, but he specifically told Teddy to not reach the ball over the goal line because it wasn't fourth down. And Teddy reaches the ball over the goal line, and we all know what, what happened. And, you know, Teddy took full responsibility uh, for that, but you know, but then Matt Rule came out and said we discussed this before the game. Wow! Do not, wow. Do not reach the ball over the goal line unless it's fourth down. The thing is, this every week, every week, Matt Rule will say, "I don't know why Teddy did that. I don't know why Teddy threw it two yards when DJ Moore was open on a slant. I don't know." I when you have that week after week, it's it's just not gonna work out. They're not on the same page, and I understand. I'm actually be kind of nice, Teddy. It's not all his fault. Sometimes the play calling isn't there, and he's got to work with, you know, uh, he's got to work with what he's got to work with. But this leads me to believe, and this is, of course, pure speculation. We don't have any sources that say this. But it leads me to believe that maybe Cam was Matt Rule's guy and Tepper didn't want Cam or mm. he didn't want Cam. Because remember, Matt Rule came out and said he was ready to go with Cam Newton. He yeah. was. He was happy to work with Cam Newton, and then, bam, Cam Newton gets released and Teddy Bridgewater comes into the fold. I'm not saying that, you know, Matt, Matt to me, Matt Rule is too new to make a comment that 
uh, toes the company line. Like, yeah, we're all in on Cam Newton. I think he really was all in on Cam Newton. He's mm-hmm. probably excited. Hey, okay, I get to come into a new team, but I got a guy like Cam Newton. And I think Tepper looking at the money, Cam's injury history, all the things we talked about in the offseason probably said, you know what, Bridgewater's a guy. And then Matt Rule's probably on board with that. Okay, Teddy, he's worked with Joe Brady in New Orleans, da da da. He was on board. But week after week, the Panthers are in position to win or at least tie these games, and they don't, and it's always Teddy's fault, according to according to Matt Rule. That's not good. Justin Fields is going to be on the board at four, probably. The Panthers will probably draft him in two gloves, going to have to ride the pines. All right, Jamal, well, Jamal, what do you think? What if I told you that Aaron Rodgers only threw for 143 yards and got sacked five times and the Panthers still lost the game. <laughs> um, Kaz is down there making the Mike's lemonade uh, squinch face, and, and, and that pretty much sums up how I feel about this game. Um, it, I, I find it interesting how in the first half, um, the defense was everything that I honestly expected. Uh, yeah. You know, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers pretty much just Dude. marched down the field to score whatever, whenever they wanted to. Um, three possessions, three touchdowns, no punts. Um, it was just going exactly the way that I thought it would go. And interestingly enough, you know, as the stats show, it wasn't all – it wasn't the passing game. It was, you know, they were, uh, Aaron Jones was killing us in the first half. We couldn't stop the run. Um, <clears throat> you know, and we, and we waited too late to get the defense together. And, you know, before the show started, I was – I actually said this to – I mentioned this with Kaiser, and there was an interesting nugget during the telecast. And and I, one of the announcers said he talked to Phil Snow, and Phil Snow pretty much alluded to the fact that he doesn't know the identity of the de- of the Panthers' defense. So I'm thinking to myself, like, yo, homie, we in week 13. Like, how do we not know the identity – of the defense by now. I get that we had a short season. Yes. I was about to say, I was about to push back. I'm like, does not having a full off season and even the preseason kind of affect the identity of the team in defense per se? Well, here's the thing, man. I, I am not in the NFL. I am obviously not in the circle, but here's what I think. I think once you have your staff together, once Matt rule selected, who he wants to to ride with him as far as coaching goes. Don't you think that's one of the first things you talk about? It, it could be me. I, I'm, I'm not in the league. I don't know. But that's just me. If I'm Matt Rue, that's one of the first things you roll with. Who do we want to be? What With the personnel that we have, who should we be? But I don't want to belabor that point because there's other things I want to get to with this game and, and as far as that goes. Now, coincidentally enough, the defense looked like a different defense in the second half. Brian Burns is still amazing. Jeremy Chin is still amazing. Uh, we got pressure on on Aaron Rodgers. Uh, we 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 start containing the run. The defense played well enough to win us the game in the second half, but we still couldn't get it done. And there's a reason why. But I am not going to get to that point just yet. News flash: Derek Brown flashed yesterday. He had two yeah. sacks. You know, I, you know, under construction, we're, I, I hate to brag, you know, because we can't be right all the time. 
but we're right all the time. And we, and damn it, but damn it, give us our props. We said weeks ago the defense was not the problem with this team, and they were the unit that was showing promise. You could see it early in the season, and we said the offense would be the issue. Everyone called us crazy, called me a hater because Teddy Bridgewater throws 2.8 yards per pass. That's all, I mean, that's a fact. I, I didn't make that up. That was real life. So – now, it, it's obvious now to the fans, if you saw the game last night and you saw the game last week, the defense is coming on. And for Phil Snow to make that comment is odd because we can see it. We know who the, the, the guys are on the defense. We see what should be done. How how Phil Snow misses it is beyond me. That, that, I was going to say, man, that that's what I just completely don't understand. If we're from, if, from the outside looking in, if we can see it, then how come professionals don't? That's... That's all I'm saying, brother. So, so, so guys, I, I, <laughs> so guys I, I have some stats to read to you. Through 13 games in Carolina last year, Kyle uh-huh. Allen threw for 3,322 <laughs> yards, 17 passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, and 19 touchdowns in total. Bridgewater, through, through 13 games, has thrown for 3,360 yards, 14 passing touchdowns, five rushing touchdowns, and 19 in total. Uh, I, I got the stats from Big Cheese from uh, from 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 uh, Twitter, and he said essentially we paid 63 million dollars for Black Kyle Allen. Um, I, I, I've seen a lot of pushback that our main problem is offensive line play. Does Teddy Bridgewater receive too much criticism, or just enough, or should we start to focus more on the offensive line? Let me take this one first, man. <clears throat> Those stats are very telling, but they also don't tell the whole story. Y'all know I say that a lot. In Teddy's defense, once one one stat that was left out of those set of stats is turnovers. Mm-hmm. Kyle Allen, we have to, we know t- Kyle Allen was a yeah. turnover machine. Okay, that was the main criticism of Kyle Allen. He would throw the ball accurately. Um, at times, he you know the offense would move with him. But you always had to worry about when the next fumble or interception was going to occur. Now, when it comes to the offensive line, we're, it's a broken record. This offensive line has been a problem since Cam Newton was our quarterback. So I don't know if that's really a valid excuse. It's just it is what it is, man. It's just it's something that has not been properly addressed in at least four or five seasons, man. And whoever the quarterback is, I guess they just have to kind of roll with it because it's just it's nothing that has been done about upgrading the offensive line but i will say this overall teddy bridgewater he's nothing but a slight upgrade and that's what the stats show Kaiser, um the offensive line for every team is usually a scapegoat if your offense is playing bad and you want to defend your quarterback um you know, a lot of people are like, well, Trevor Lawrence would be running for his life behind this offensive line. And that that may be so. The Panthers' offensive line has only been great one season out of the past 10. And really, that was probably more of Cam Newton than anything else. Although Trey Turner had a great season that year. And we had Jordan. And then we, and then we traded him away for a box of Christian yeah. donuts. But go ahead. So, um, you know, you know, we have Matt Khalil and, and, and Jerome Gross. We had a, a solid offensive line for like two seasons out of the last 10. But the Panthers offensive line isn't that 
bad, at least not from a statistical standpoint. And also, Teddy Bridgewater does not hold on to the ball that long. He gets rid of the ball early, and that is uh, not because of offensive line pressure. That's just who he is. Uh, I don't – also, you know, he's got uh, about to have 2,000-yard receivers. Um, I mean, he's got a high completion percentage, although we've talked about what a deceiving stat that can be. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not buying that that's the, that the offensive line is the issue for the offensive woe. That's not the reason they cannot score in the red zone. That's not the reason uh, – the offensive line is not calling time, three timeouts a quarter so that we have none at the end of the game. That, that, you know, that, that's not what's happening. The offensive line isn't getting – how many delay games – have we seen Teddy Bridgewater the offensive line is set Teddy either can't get the play in or, or or some I'm not I'm not buying it the Panthers uh shoot themselves in the foot with mistakes and that is not the all, all the offensive line sure it's one of the areas we need to shore up but I'm not buying it so hey, let me ask you guys a question so say for instance the Panthers with the fourth pick draft the left tackle for in, in the top five, so they decided that Teddy is the guy next year as well, and we we, we bridge him out afterwards. How would you feel if they drafted a, 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 a left tackle? Well, I think investing in the left tackle, whether it be through the draft or free agency, you know, investing in the offensive line is never the sexy or the popular thing, but sometimes it may be the right thing. Now. It, it depends on who we're talking about here. Now, I'm probably going to screw up this young man's name, but there's a, a, a young man by the name of, I think it's Pinnell Sewell or something like that out of Oregon. I'm, he looks to be every bit worth a, a high draft pick. I mean, he's projected to be like the number two pick in the draft. So if it's something like that, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of for it because he just may be worth it. But, you know, there's other needs on this team, man. I just think, you know, in, in investing – uh, in, in other positions, mainly linebacker, because I really want Micah Parsons out of Penn State, you know, it's something to think about. It's, and, it, and it's something that management is going to have to really prioritize in the offseason. Yeah, you own, to me, you only draft an offensive lineman high in the draft if you already have a franchise quarterback. If, if you've got your guy or you think you might get your guy the next season, then you build an offensive line around him. Teddy is not our guy. So, you know, we have a chance to get a guy like Justin Fields, who may or may not be the guy, but, you know, a lot of experts feel like he's going to be a good NFL quarterback, and this may be our chance to start over anew with a fresh new quarterback. If you draft a high-pick left tackle, that's great, but I don't think that won't magically make Teddy Bridgewater in the offense any better. A single left tackle is not – be the answer to all the Panthers offensive woes um, I, and I think it would be a waste this particular draft if we had Trevor Lawrence and and we and then you know we missed the playoffs and had a high draft pick next year okay yeah then you might get an offensive lineman but this season um, especially when there's so many other areas we need I, I, I don't I, I'd be kind of disappointed in that okay guys so for the we got we got two or three games left what should be the Panthers' plan going in these last two or three games? <laughs> I'm laughing, man, because the, you know the way the way that question is worded, you know, fans are automatically gonna be like, "Lose, tank, 
Don't don't mess up the draft position. But you know, these are professionals, man. You're not gonna walk into a locker room and tell you know a, a professional team to just lose games on purpose. So with that being said, man, it's just the last what two or three games we have, man. Just be professionals. That's it. Just and, yeah. and, I, and look. We're in a different situation than we were maybe, let's say, two seasons ago when you had experienced vets who were on their way out. Because in that situation, you got guys like Greg Olson and other vets who had one foot out the door anyway. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and you could see <laughs> that, they just, that they were not into the last couple of games of the season. But you have a different culture here now. You have young guys. You got to set that tone. Even though we're out of playoff contention and there's nothing to play for, you can't go out there and just hot dog it, man. Just especially for these young kids. So you just my whole thing is you gotta maintain professionalism and go out there and still try to win these last two games. Yeah, I you know, I, I like to see teams with losing seasons play with some pride at the end. You got to that, that goes for a lot. It sets the culture of winning. That's what Matt Rule, that's his first thing, and I think that's what he wants to do. Okay, let's get back to a culture of winning. Having said that, we know who the key players are. Sit those guys. Brian Burns shouldn't play another snap the rest of the season. Uh, Especially with his new injury. Yeah, Yeah, the reports that he just tweaked his MCL. That's all I need to hear. Okay, you put his ass on the bench for the last two, three years. Exactly. CMC. Nope. Don't need to play. He's done. I might. I might would play Chin just to ensure that. He gets those defensive rookie of the year votes because he deserves those. Same with Derrick Brown. They need those reps. But all your key players, sit those guys. Uh, As far as Teddy, you know, um, Darren in the chat said, should we bench him for the last two games? Uh, He's a pro. Let him finish out. We're paying all this money for him. Although none of us would uh, be upset if P.J. Walker trotted out onto the field. But at the same time, you know, we're paying Teddy more than what Cam Newton asked for. So, so guys, I'm, I'm, we're going to round out this Panthers thing. So, who was your offensive and defensive MVPs from uh, last night's game? Guys, I'll take this one first. Offense, I'll take Robbie Anderson. Uh, the defense. You can pick from a few people, but I'm going to say Derek Brown because this was probably his biggest – Flash game. Uh, not Robbie. I meant to say DJ Moore. DJ Moore, six catch. Yeah, because I'm looking at these stats like, huh? Buddy? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. DJ Moore had a great, great, incredible sideline catch. He's good for like one of those per game. Um, and defensively, I like Derek Brown. He finally broke through, had a lot of pressures. I, I Brian Burns is also a sexy pick. Um, but uh, anyone on the defensive line, I, I think you could – they really stepped up to sack Aaron Rodgers five times, Yeah, uh, especially this season. Uh, Green Bay has a really good offensive line, um, I, I think says a lot. And we talked about on uh, Derek Brown is was almost there. You know, he was getting that push. He was getting that push up the middle, and it was good to see him rewarded uh, for his effort. Yeah. Yeah. Um- Offensive MVP, I'm going with DJ Moore. Six catches, 131. Um, probably the most productive offensive player last night. Uh, Defensive-wise, I'm also going to go with Derrick Brown because, you know, just like Kaza said, man, Brian Burns is the sexy pick, but Derrick Brown made Brian Burns' job a lot easier last night. I, you know, I, I don't know if Brian Burns 
um, at least gets, you know, one of those sacks without Derrick Brown, man. So I'll, I'll go with him as the MVP. So I'm, I'm going to say uh, offense, DJ Moore. I mean, that's self-explanatory, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm gonna go a little different on defense. I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go Brian Burns. He helped this Pro Bowl case uh, just this past week, and then also let me give a shout out to Jeremy Chin. He's the third ever Panthers rookie to reach 100 tackles in a season. Dude is a beast. He's balling. And guys, I, one more thing. Uh, real, real quick, man. I swear to God, if the national media, if they Devontae Graham, Jeremy Chin, I, somebody going to get yanked up, bro. In no way, dog. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I'll say that the Panthers don't seem to be as cursed as the Hornets. When the Panthers have good players that are nationally they recognized, recognize. they tend to be recognized. It's No doubt. Not like not like the Hornets. Also, side note, Brian Burns had two pass defenses yep. last night as well. The guy yeah. had something special. Yeah. Guys, um, I got one more question, man. What did you guys think on that long DJ Moore pass completion? We kicked the field goal on the first down. What, 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 what was going through your head? <sighs> okay, 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 okay. <laughs> I understand the logic. Because you don't, you only have one timeout, so you're having clock issues, and and your defense is playing really, really well. So the idea is that you hurry up and score before the two minute warning, so you get essentially a free timeout. That's a free clock stoppage, and if you stop Green Bay, you get the ball back with a chance to score because you need a touchdown anyway, right? Yeah. So you get the chance back to score a touchdown with one timeout left, and it almost worked. The problem is the offense couldn't get out of their own way. You know, they end up uh, taking a penalty. Now they're all the way back on, like, the 12-yard the line or something like that, and now you, now you got to drive uh, 90 yards with one timeout, whereas, you know, you don't have that penalty, the plan might work. So I understand the rationale. The thing is, is that this is the NFL. You got to take the shot. You got to take the risk. You you need a touchdown anyway. Uh, like Chris said in the chat, at least take one shot at the end zone. Because if you score a touchdown and you get the two-point conversion, okay, yeah, Green Bay is going to get the ball back with less than two minutes left and you don't have any timeouts to stop them. But it's more. It, what is more likely that you kick a field goal to go down eight and then you stop Green Bay and get some the ball back with time left on the clock and a timeout, or you score a touchdown. Green Bay gets the ball with less than two minutes, and then by the time they punt it back to you, you're you're essentially in the same situation. I yeah. will, you know, I I just feel like in the NFL you, you go <clears throat> touchdown though. You, I, I, I'll I'll admit this much, man. When, when he when he first did that, I'm just I threw my hands up like, man, what the hell is this dude doing? Man? <laughs> but you know, here's why coaches are pros, and we're sitting here talking about it because eventually it turned out to be the right decision. Now, keep in mind, Rule doesn't have to do that. You know, if we're not unnecessarily burning timeouts like we have to do every single game in the second okay. half. That, that 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 needs to be said. However, I also think it was a situation where Rule said, you know what, okay, this defense is playing a lot better uh this second half. And I think he trusted his defense. And 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 that's and it turned out to be a boss coach move. And it and it was it was of no consequence. I'll put it like that. 
The only consequences was our quarterback couldn't put together a drive to ultimately win the game, which is kind of common these days. But oh, that, <laughs> but but that decision didn't really cost us. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's a great point, Jamal. It's one thing to have confidence in your defense because that's why Rule made the call. But then you have to have confidence in your offense. To, they they got to do their part. You've got to think, okay, so if this works, if we kick the field goal so that we essentially get two timeouts or two two clock stoppages before getting the ball back, now what has to happen? Well, the right. offense has to score, and they hadn't been able to do that, you know, for the most part uh, all night. I, I, I'm not I, – I'm not – you know, sometimes NFL coaches outsmart themselves – I don't think that was completely the case with Matt Rule. I don't think that was completely the case with Matt Rule. I mean, like we said, it almost worked. Yeah, so, no yeah. doubt. All right, we're, we're, we're going to transition to something a little more exciting. Uh, yeah, yes, <laughs> Buzz City. Who would have thought? Buzz City. The Buzz City would be the most exciting team in Charlotte. LaMelo Ball, the best passer in Charlotte. Yeah. So, so – the Hornets finished their preseason on Saturday, uh, one and three. Uh, they lost to the Orlando, uh, the Orlando Magic. So, what do you guys think about that game last night? Um, I, 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 I tell you this, man. James Borrego, he's impressing me more every day. And here's what I mean by that. So, usually in the preseason, now keep in mind we're in a different situation because of COVID crap, but yeah. Usually in preseason, if you, you you know, you get to the last game of the preseason, you know, the veterans are going to be like, man, you know what? Let's just get to the regular season. We don't care about this. It doesn't count. And they were playing like that. They were clearly playing like that in the first half. James Borrego, I'm I'm, I'm obviously not in the locker room, but you can clearly tell at halftime he got in their ass and said, I don't care if this is preseason. Your energy sucks. Your effort sucks. Go out here and fix it in the second half. And he did that. And we looked like a better team than the Orlando Magic. And that's important because we're probably going to be playing them for playoff position come this season. So we'll get into that a little further later. Right. But when we when you look at that, it's like, wow, man, like that is a pretty impressive coaching job, even for a meaningless preseason game, man. So I, I really just like the tone JB is setting for these guys right now, man. Yeah, it was clear. And because we were able to watch uh, the Orlando Magic feed, uh, Coach Clifford said before the game, he talked about how the Hornets, how their pace was. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people think that the Hornets' problem last season was defense. It was not. The Hornets were like, 14th in the league in defense, actually. Uh, their offense sucked. We are dead last in the league, and mainly because our number of uh, possessions per game was like the lowest in the league. So JB said, okay, we're going to make an effort to play with more energy. We're going to get out, and we're going to run. And three out of the four preseason games, they scored 30-plus points in the first quarter, and then 27 in the, the game that they didn't. But Orlando came out with a clear plan to stop that. They know that the Hornets do not crash the boards because we like to get out and run. They took advantage of that. A lot of people were complaining about Zeller's lack of rebounding. But if you look, a lot of times it was just him under the basket and like five Orlando Magic. (laughs) We were getting getting back on the other end and there was going to be no one to rebound. So the Magic, Coach Clifford made a big adjustment from 
the game earlier in the week to last night, and it paid dividends in the first half. And then, like Jamal said, JB Smooth, that's my new nickname for him because, you know, <laughs> Hey, it's who we'll do it though. Yeah, the rest yeah, of the room, man. Cool, cool, cool. I don't know where he get his joint lined up, but he be looking screwed. <laughs> but, uh, but he made an adjustment during the half, and the Hornets come back from twenty something down to really win the game. The only yeah, reason, yeah, right, no doubt, is because Steve Clifford he wanted a win that didn't mean anything so bad. When JB took everybody oh, out, JB's like, "All right, all right, we good. Y'all can sit down." And then what does Coach Clifford do? He leaves Cole Anthony in the game. Now, we know Cole Anthony going. He check. Right, yeah. He leaves Cole Anthony in the game, and he wins the game. Also, whoever number 31 is for the Hornets, enjoy your time off. Enjoy your time off, man. Hey, look, look, whoever number 31 is, you remember, remember that shot Carlton took from Will in first place of Bel Air when he threw it out? <laughs> what are you doing? Look, I mean, every. I mean, hey, look, look. Number thirty-one was all guts, no glory, bro. He was like, "I'm shooting this, man." I think, I think, I think he knew, and I think JB knew those guys were getting waved because they got waved last night. brought him in, like, "All right, y'all getting waved, so I'm gonna let y'all." And he, dude, was like, "You know what? I'm getting waved. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go." For I'm it. shooting this thing. <laughs> Thirty seconds left. Twenty-five. It was like twenty-three seconds left in the possession. I had I had Stephen Jackson flashbacks, brother. I was like, yeah, man, yeah, this was, dude got some balls, bro. I was like, thanks for losing <laughs> the game. All right, guys. So, um, <laughs> let's talk about Lamelo Ball, man. Um, I've been noticing a lot. I mean, he's he hasn't been like lights out shooting, but these passes he's throwing is are are, are absolutely nuts and ridiculous. I mean, the exposure that the Hornets are getting is getting is just out of this world. So, what do you guys think about the Lamella Ball effect in Charlotte? I haven't seen a player come into the league with such court awareness. And this is gonna people are gonna get on me for this, but it's true. Since LeBron James, look, that's hey, big take, big take. But I mean, Lamella knows where everybody is on the court at any given time. And a lot of people were like, well, the passes are just flashy. Some of those passes, he makes them flashy because he can, but some of those passes are passes you're not going to make see pros make. That sequence where he ripped the ball from Cole Anthony, you know, Melo can't play no defense. Now nah, he just snatched the ball from Cole Anthony and then hits Malik Monk. In stride, man. Oh, my God. There are pros you will not see season pros that you will not see make that that kind of pass. It once he develops a shot selection, he because he doesn't have one. That that's that's really his only main problem offensively. Either he's got a catch and shoot uh or he's just got to take a random shot. He can't do that because you've got to work on those shots. So he needs to find his spots. These are your shot selections. Here's how you get to your Once he has that part of his game, oh man. I mean, it's going to be something special. As of right now, though, Terry Rozier had himself a little preseason. And him and Devontae should be starting. They should yeah. start. And I don't really see Melo cracking into the starting lineup this season. I hate to say it. Although him and Miles Bridges, 
They must be buddies or something. I mean, they go out for ice cream after the game or something. <laughs> look, man, look. At some point, you've got to have them on the same rotations. You, you yeah. have to. Like, uh, Miles, Miles released a tweet actually today saying that he's just feeling rejuvenated and, and, and the love of the game has come back to him. I mean, we can honestly see that. He's pushing P.J. for that starting time, for that starting four-man role. Speaking of love for the game, and, and, and that's that's a good transition as far as uh, the LaMelo effect. Um, Mitch Kupchak spoke glowingly about LaMelo Ball's kind of love for basketball. And if you notice LaMelo uh, during the preseason, man, this dude, his energy just looks infectious. Yeah. And not only is his energy infectious, his court play is obviously infectious because of the type of point guard he is. Him and Miles Bridges, who have that insane chemistry right now, it's kind of like kismet. I, you know, I don't know if, if – if, I mean, Miles Bridges looks like he's been – he's out for blood this season so far. And you got a LaMelo Ball who, who, who's been highly touted as not only just a talent but someone who loves the game like he does. It's just the perfect combination, man, and that's what we're seeing so far out of that. Now, as far as, you know, the LaMelo effect and the exposure that the Hornets are getting – now, for me, it's kind of a ying and a yang. Now, the ying is it's great for Hornets fans who who been starving for relevance and we want to be on TV. We want ESPN talking about us. Uh, we want fans to be interested. That part is awesome. No complaints there. But the yang to that is it's going to put a really – it's going to put LaMelo Ball under the spotlight. And the bad part about that is – Whenever he does any little thing bad, when it, that first time he has a bad game, oh, I told you you should have drafted Cole Anthony, hint, hint, wink, wink. Um, it's going to be things like that, man. So I, I'm excited about the positivity that's going to come with it. I don't know if I'm going to like the, I don't know, for lack of a better term, pressure that it may put on LaMelo Ball. But I think overall, man, it is going to remain positive. We okay. talked about that real quick. We talked about that before the draft that any any player, not just LaMelo, but whoever the Hornets picked would be under immense pressure. Mm -hmm. And I think it's even more so with LaMelo Ball because he comes in with a little more hype than Wiseman and Edwards. I mean, they're already like, oh, he's going to be rookie of the year. It, I'm like, let's Let's slow down a bit. Right, let's right. Slow down a bit. But, yeah, I do like the, the attention. He's on SportsCenter highlight reels every night. And the thing is, clearly he's got that it factor. Clearly. Yeah. Clearly, yeah. It'd be something – uh, special. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm all, and I'd like to say Vince was the first on the LaMelo ball bandwagon. I yeah. jumped on Vince coattails. The rest of y'all can, y'all come on. Come on the bandwagon. Jump come on, on the bandwagon. Real quick, man. We already got one, one more person on the on the under construction bandwagon. CJ, we appreciate you, bro. You can jump on a little mellow bag and went bandwagon next, bro. Appreciate it, <laughs> guys. Okay, so Wednesday night we open the season versus the Cavaliers. What are your expectations for the Hornets this year? Do we complete? Do do we actually compete for a playing game, or are we just lottery bound, exciting team? Let me take this one first. I'm so glad you brought this up. I'm not going to answer your question first, man, because I want to address something really quick. <clears throat> Me and the national media, I, I swear, man, if I see some of these dudes in public, man, they might catch a fade, man. Somebody is going to have to make me fully understand 
how a team who was right outside of playoff position last season, albeit a very shortened season, how are you, I don't understand how some people are picking the Hornets, John Hollinger, to win 23 games. I understand that the Eastern Conference has gotten stronger. Please believe that. I, I, I know that Atlanta's gotten stronger. I know that Washington has gotten stronger. I, I perfectly realize that the teams around us have gotten better and it is more competitive. But just simple logic tells me that a team that won 20-something games in a short season last season, who got whose roster has clearly gotten better, can at least incrementally improve. I That's the part I, I, I just don't understand. Now, to more directly answer your question, um, because of the Eastern Conference getting so much more competitive, I still believe we may be right on the outside looking in. Possibly it is going to be a fight. Let me be very clear about that. I, but I don't think we're going to be some scrub team that's going to win 23 games this season. Yeah, um, I'll say it's, it's always hard to put the preseason in, in context. But I'll say this, and I don't think anyone will disagree with me. In all four games, when our best players were on the court, and the other team's best players are on the court. We clearly won during that time. Even against the Raptors, and I know that Even against were, Toronto. Yeah, even – I know they were playing without Kyle Lowry, who is probably their best player. But I was really shocked at how competitive our starting five was with Toronto's starting five. And against Orlando, I felt like we were clearly the better team. And Gordon Haywood plays last night. We win that game without – I mean, we would have won it if number 31 – didn't want to be Steph Curry. <laughs> so, you know, the Hornets clearly have improved roster, and I think they're going to be competitive with any with anyone on the uh, you know anyone that they play. Uh, it's gonna we, we don't know the timetable for Gordon Hayward's return. Let me talk about that real quick because I know a lot of people it, it, you know were freaking out about it. Hey, but before you before you go there, Kaza. I, you know what? I don't understand why Michael Jordan didn't predict that Gordon Haywood was going to cut his pinky off. What? Why doesn't Michael Jordan predict the future and and, say, and, and just think? Why does Gordon Haywood break his finger? Don't I'm do sorry. No, I'm, I'm not going to do this today. Go so ahead, Kaiser. One of those things where, where I'm sorry. Generally, of course, man. I mean, we're not doctors, so when they when they list the injury. They have to be. They have to be very specific about it. That's league rules. You can't just be like, "Oh, Gordon Haywood hurt his finger and he's going to miss three or four games." The league doesn't allow that. You have to say exactly what the injury is. Um, so, what an avulsion fracture is? It's not. It's not even really a, a break like like we envision a fracture. And I know this because this is a common boxing injury. In fact, they call it a boxer's fracture. Uh, the the tendons that connect your knuckles to your metatarsals or metacarpals. Right. Yeah, it, the the tendon actually connect that connects to the bone takes a little bit of the bone off with it. So the, the tendon is really strong, actually. So I guess Gordon Haywood has strong tendons, and it would because that's a shooting hand, uh, and it it just chips a little bit of the bone off. It is not a serious injury. At the most, he would miss, and this is worst case scenario, about six weeks. But it is unlikely that he misses that much time. In fact. I'd be surprised if, if they didn't just tape that thing up and he plays Wednesday and then they just see, see how it is. It, you know, the fact that it's on his shooting hand is concerning. But people say, see, avulsion fracture, 
And they're like, oh, my God. It's like, yeah. And let me be clear. When I saw the word fracture, I freaked out. I'm not going to lie. I was like, oh, God, yeah, even I broke mean, his hand already. Right. Yeah, but, it, it, it does look bad on the surface. But, I mean, this is a, it's essentially a jammed finger. We, how many basketball players have jammed fingers? Like I said, right, no doubt. Is that it's on a shooting hand. So, yeah. If Gordon Hayward is is healthy, I think the Hornets will be competing, like you said, between seven in the playoff game. I don't trust uh, – first of all, we're better than the Knicks. We're probably better than the Magic. We're better than the Pistons. Um, Russell Westbrook coming into the East kind of – Makes Washington great. Yeah, yeah, and depending on what James Harden does, that, how, that muddies the waters some. I don't trust Atlanta. At least I don't think – Atlanta is better than the Hornets. They may be, but I, on paper, I don't think they're that much better. And a lot of analysts are like Atlanta's like the trendy hot pick because they have Trey Young. But when I look at our team, when I look at Terry Rozier scoring 25 points, Devontae Graham scoring 25 points, Gordon Hayward before his injury, he was buckets during the preseason. Miles Bridges looks like a man possessed. And then you got LaMelo Ball out there doing and one stuff. I, I <laughs> It's hard to not be excited about the Hornets. No doubt. Look, a lot of people have voiced this concern. PJ Washington looked like dog shit the whole preseason. Should we read into that much, or should we just let them figure this out? Let me let me tell you something uh, that was that was kind of telling for me. So after the game, James Borrego, it it at least didn't sound like he was overly concerned. Um, James Rigo had some very high praise for P.J. Washington last night, not necessarily because of how he's playing during the preseason, but for what he thinks of him going forward. Um, I'm not quoting exactly here, but James Rigo said something to the effect of, I trust that P.J. Washington can still be special this season. Um, he didn't really he didn't talk much about how he was performing right now. It just didn't sound like to me that, number one, he was going to make any changes to the starting lineup. Um, you even saw in last night's game, P.J. Washington stunk for three and a half quarters. But Borrego, he didn't, you know, he didn't cut his time. He didn't bench him. He stayed with him for most of the game. And as the game went along, P.J. Looked, at least looked a little better, you know, in the fourth quarter. You know, he had a big dunk. You know, he, he, he was still out there defending pretty well, man. So with that being said, I, you know, if Borrego trusts him, I trust him. It's simple as that, man. And, you know, we can just go we – we can just hope going forward this is just a slump to start the season and he'll be better going forward. Gotcha. Yeah, y'all know PJ's my guy. I've been high on PJ, you know, since all last season. Um, he looked off, but the effort was there. A lot yeah. of times players know they're off. They just kind of like – Resigned to their fate. He didn't do that. He's still there shooting. He's still there hustling. He just, you know, the ball was falling through the hoop. Um, also, you know, he he's spent some time during the preseason at the five. That's not that's a hard transition to make. Um, a small ball team, and now suddenly, you, you know, your, your spots are different because you know you're used to you're not used to being that deep into the paint, uh, waiting for passes and, and whatnot. That's an adjustment, and I actually I expect Borrego to to move away from that experiment. And we kind of yeah, yeah. 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 In life, hey, it is than, than small ball. Let me cut you off real quick, man. It's interesting you said Borrego may move away from that because Rick Bunnell asked 
uh, JB, basically how small ball going. And Borrego's answer left a lot to be desired. He was just kind of like, eh, I'm going to watch the film. <laughs> your cards on the table, but I, I, I don't think that's going to work as well as JB would like it to. And that's okay. And that's fine. Yeah. You, know, you just make the adjustment. And I think, I think the coaching staff is probably pleasantly surprised. And they may not be. This may be all part of the plan. But you got to look at the Hornets in the way that they played during the preseason. You just look at the energy and the effort. I mean, I thought about this last night. I'd said in the in the chat, in the game chat, Miles Bridges should start. But now I'm not so sure, and I'll tell you why. If you have this good chemistry on the second unit yeah. with Ball, Monk, Bridges, and Kayla Martin. And, like, how is that a bad thing? <laughs> yeah. Why would you mess that up just right. to swap PJ and Miles? I'm, I think the rotations that we saw, the, the main 10-man rotation that we saw is what we're going to get. Um, we're going to get, you know, Cody and Biz at the five for whatever that's worth. And then I, I really think the special, the second unit is going to be special. That's where the Hornets are going to win games. By the way, last night, uh, LaMelo Ball, none of the Hornets were plus in the plus minus category, I think. Um, but LaMelo Ball was only negative one. Cole Anthony was negative 15. That ought to let you know how those rotations work balls able to find monk and bridges all day those guys can clearly score that's where the hornets was that's where we're missing out last season when our starters came off the court that was, we could not score i don't think let me was, um let, let me let me let me make one more point with pj real quick i gotta get this off my chest man here's one thing i do notice about pj and also lamella ball at the same time as much as they had as much as they have struggled this peace season you know, when when young guys tend to struggle in NBA, you you notice like a lot of times they sulk. You know, they the the effort uh, kind of goes away when they're not hitting shots. You know what I mean? I don't see that with PJ and Lamelo, and that is a very encouraging sign. It may be discouraging that they're not hitting shots at the rate that we want them to, but the encouraging sign is it doesn't seem to affect their effort, and that's a really big deal when it comes to young when it comes to young players. And I'm sure Borrego, I'm sure that's a big reason why Borrego trusts them and leaves them on the floor even when they're struggling. So, so guys, I have a question. So, JB has been primarily using a ten man rotation. Uh, he has to figure some things out who he wants to play and who plays the best together. Uh, typically, an NBA team goes to an eight-man rotation, eight, eight or nine-man rotation. Who is the odd guy out to you? Cody Martin. Yeah, I'd say so. The best perimeter defender? Caleb Martin is just as good, and he's a little better offensively. That puts Cody Martin on the out. The only thing I don't like about Caleb Martin offensively is that uh, he tends to handle the ball a little too much to create his try and create his own shot. And it doesn't work out too well most of the time. I would I would prefer him to be more auxiliary when you have Monk and Bridges uh, in the second unit. But um, yeah, that's a tough one. A lot of you know a lot of NBA teams run eight man rotations typically because they have players who can take the bulk of those minutes. The NBA teams do not have a lot of depth anymore because of the way the league is structured. You got these super teams that stack up and are very top heavy. You've got teams like the Lakers that have five or six really, really, really good players. So you want them to get all the minutes, and the rest of that bench is not that deep. So why would you play them anyway? 
The Hornets, though, have a lot more depth than they've had. So running nine guys and sometimes ten might not be such a bad idea, especially at the five where yeah. you know, it tends to be our weakest uh, position. But if you wow. had, I said, hey, who's the odd man out? I'm going to say Cody Martin. Um, and that's just because of circumstance. Yeah. I, <clears throat> now, I, I'll probably say Cody Martin, but I will throw you a curveball. We we know James Borrego does not mind switching lineups up and, and switching and he and he does that depending on the matchup. Now I'll throw you a curveball. The odd man out actually may be Bismack Biombo, and I'll tell you why. Um, depending on matchup, that is important to kind of note here. Depending on matchup, if JB does does decide to go small ball lineup, you know, and, and when it comes to the bench. You actually may see Jalen McDaniel slide to the five sometimes. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's going to open up uh, a spot at the three for, for Cody Martin or Caleb Martin to kind of come in as the three. But, again, this all depends on matchup. Now, I'll say Cody and Caleb Martin because um, JB, he, it looks like he really wants to get the best out of Malik Monk this season. He's not going to give up on Monk this season until he absolutely has to. And I'm just kind of saying that, judging you know how he's been talking about Monk in the offseason, he's working very hard to get him back in the basketball shape and have him ready. Yeah. Uh, last night and even the night before, we, you know, he had to shake off some rust, but um, he looked in better position to score. I think that might be the Lamelo Ball effect. It just seems like when Lamelo's on the court, everyone, everybody's better. Everyone's in the way better. Like, yeah. yeah, like. Ben suddenly could catch balls at that point. Yeah, except kind of, kind of. He has to be more aware. There were times where I would see passes come his way, and he not looking. It's like, dude, what are you, you know, man? It's like they trying, they trying to help you out, man. So, hey, hey, hey look. To be fair, Bismack Campbell, who passed, so that maybe he wasn't expecting to pass. Gotcha, gotcha. Guys, we're going to wrap up this Hornets thing. Uh, Jamal, you're in and out. We're going to wrap up this Hornets thing. Give me record predictions and uh, seed in the playoffs. Seed, seed in the East. So, what, seven, it's a 72, 72 games. games. Yeah. Yeah. I think the Hornets win 36. So, 36. And that will put us at the play in game. I think, okay. I, I, right. yeah, we're either eighth or the or the playing game. Jamal, all right, can you guys hear me? Okay, yeah, yeah. All right, uh, I'm going to say we win 33 games, and I I, I think we we fight in the playing game as well. I'm going to say uh, 30, 30, 33 and 33 wins and 10th seed in the playing game. Play that seven seed and 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 and, and dog fight it out, man. Uh, I'm I'm just excited for this season. Jamal, you got some voicemails for us, man. I believe I have a voicemail. You know, now y'all know I mess this up every week, man. So let me try to see if I can get this right. Hold on. All right, Teddy. Hey, what's up, UC crew? <laughs> My Gucci brother, Bobby. <laughs> what's going on? Hey, y'all. This is uh, Chris G, the OG man. Just want to hit y'all up. Uh, a couple things. Panthers last night, same story. Another close loss. Another game of missed opportunities. Another game of Teddy Bridgewater errors. That's a dead horse. I'm not going to beat that. Good uh, positives. The defense showed up in the second half. Looks good. You can kind of see what they're trying to build for. 
Um, the other positive, probably the biggest positive, right now they're sitting with a uh, top five pick. They could possibly get a top four. They could be at four by the end of the weekend if Dallas um, wins. But anyway, if you have a top four or five pick in this draft, you have to address the quarterback position. This is a good draft for quarterbacks. And if you're picking at four or five, you need to be addressing that. If you're not going to do that, Panthers, trade your pick. Get more picks. Do something with it. Don't sit there and pick another player at four or five because I think everybody's going to be looking for quarterbacks in this draft, and that pick will be valuable. Um, the other thing I'll say about the coaching, um, there's a lot being talked about with uh, Teddy Bridgewater's fumble at the goal line. What I'll say about that play on the first and goal, I do not know why uh, your big back was not in there and why you did not hand the ball off to Mike and let him get that touchdown uh, for you. At least let him get the first crack at it. You had your smaller um, back in there, and I'm forgetting his name right now. If you go back and look at that play, uh, Mike Davis wasn't even in the game. And so I don't, I don't get the play call. Um, so I know he put a lot of blame on Teddy for that one, but again, the play call sucked, in my opinion. Um, Hornets. Hornets, you know, so they start the season off this coming week. Um, I think the key for them is going to be their rotations. They got a lot of players, 10 to 12 deep, that could probably play or probably should be playing. The key is going to be, can JB settle in on the proper rotation that's going to get the best out of this team during the season? That's going to be a tough thing to do, okay? Um, hopefully, uh, Gordy Haywood will be ready um, to play, ready to go. And uh, remember, Bo, I will say this about him. He is truly exciting. Must see TV when he's in the game. I'm paying attention. I didn't necessarily want them to pick him. Since they did, I'm glad they picked him. Uh, like I said, he's must-see TV. Very exciting. A lot of people are saying he's going to be the rookie of the year. I totally disagree with that. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, if you look at it and if you're being honest with yourself, he at no point in those four games was the best point guard um, there. And I will go a step further. All right, so the voicemail cut Chris off, but I, I'm interested in, in hearing about this wasn't the best point guard at any point. Um, that that third game that third game says otherwise, Chris. But you know, you can leave us another one, man, and expound on that. But uh, thank you for the voicemail, brother. We do appreciate it. All right, we're gonna roll into we're gonna roll into shout outs now. Uh, who wants to go first? I'll take this one, man. I have a shout at. My shout at is Bleacher Report once again. Uh, this is becoming a dead horse. Um, but every single week, Bleacher Report, I think Bleacher Report, I think they're, they're executives. They sit down at a table and they say, you know what? How can we make Michael Jordan look bad this week? How, what, what can we do? What can we say to disgrace the Charlotte Hornets? So here's what, let me tell you the slick stuff Bleacher Report did this time. So there was this GM survey. And the survey, one of the categories is the world in the NBA. More not mention of the worst owner in the NBA by the GMs. James Dolan did. But when the headline came out, the headline came out as Michael Jordan received votes as the worst owner in the NBA. Not not got the thing, not was the voted as the worst owner, but received votes. 
and his picture is all on the headline. Uh, you get what I'm saying, guys? It is. I I don't. What do you say? It's clickbait. It's clickbait, dude. Listen, man. Listen. Every public look. We we are in the media business right now. We we know what it means to try to get clicks and get likes and get shares. I get it. We are in that business. But have some damn integrity, please, man. That's all I got. Uh, I'm going to shout out us because we're not analysts. We're not pundits. We're just fans. We're, we're, we're not journalists. Yeah, we're, we're fans. We have, you know, we have a podcast. We might write an article or two. But we know our sports. And time and time again, I, you know, there was a, a video, those of you that follow us on uh, on Facebook, Jamal posted, uh, where we talk about the Hornets point guard situation last year. And we call, we perfectly called that. Last year, we called the Kyle Allen situation. We called the Teddy Bridgewater situation. We, 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 we does this. I wish you guys could see <laughs> our texts in our group chat. Every time I see a group chat pop up, I know it's something from one of our sources or an article that we found or something, some research that we did or something like that. Um, all, all I'm saying is that we, we put in a lot of work and effort to like our, our hot takes are really not all that hot. You know, we think about them and, and it's, we try and, it's thought out. Right. We try and ground our opinions in, in, facts. in facts. Yeah. So um, research. Yeah. So we, do a, we do a lot of it takes a lot of effort to break because we're going to want to bring you guys good content. We want you guys to remember, man, under construction said they said this was going to happen. It, it makes us feel really good when that does happen. Unfortunately, a lot of times it's negative and I don't want to be <laughs> I, I don't want to spend every season talking about why the Panthers quarterback situation is going to suck. You mean you don't want to be Bleacher Report, basically. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't want to be Bleacher Report. So hopefully, like, this upcoming Hornet season and the, the next Panther season, we can be right about some positive things. But, no um, doubt. Shout no out doubt. to All right, I, I, bear with me. I got a few. Shout out to <laughs> Vince for his uh, short story videos, man. No uh, doubt, man. Like, share, subscribe to his YouTube page, man. He's pretty dope. Uh, shout out to the almighty Clemson Tires. Oh, Damn it. Uh, here we go. Damn it, we did it again. Six oh, straight years in the college football playoffs. Kaza, wake me up when this is over, man. Yeah, I'm not checking my Facebook. ACC championship. <laughs> ACC stands for another Clemson championship. Oh, boy. Shout, look, shout out to Clemson, obviously. And then uh, I want to give a shout out to our raffle winners. Uh, Ethan Wagner and Joseph Wilson. No doubt, man. Uh, shoot me those pictures, man. Once you open the package, and hey, man, congrats and enjoy. And then finally, Merry Christmas, y'all. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. This is my last show before Christmas. Merry Christmas, man. Look, I'm not particularly in the holiday spirit, man. But look, 2020, we're alive to see Christmas, man. That's a blessing in itself. I want I want the Hornets to get in the playoffs. That is that that's is, that that is what I want my Christmas present to be. What are you crazy? So we no, can Hank. Yeah, you we just gonna be an AP so we can lose to James Harden, Giannis, Kumbo. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. We're gonna swim in mediocrity for another year. Come on, yeah. man. 
Damn that 20, million, 20 plus million cap space next year. Right, 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 right. Let, 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 let's trust the process. Hint, hint, wink, wink. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. Again, Merry Christmas. On behalf of the guys, like, share, support, subscribe, and uh, much love. Much love. Take care. Peace out, y'all. Peace out.